Hello and welcome to First Flight, a Star Trek Enterprise rewatch podcast where we are watching and discussing each episode of Enterprise in succession. First Flight is a proud member of the Tricorder Transmissions Network. This is Commander Tucker of Enterprise. We've got some information you're going to want to hear. Welcome, Enterprise fans. I'm your co-host, Abby. And I'm your co-host, Chris. And tonight we are discussing Ceasefire, the 15th episode of season two. Ceasefire has a story by Chris Black and was directed by David Strayton. It aired on February 12th, 2003. But as always, before we begin this discussion, we need to issue a read alert. Tactical alert. All hands to stations. There are potential spoilers ahead, and this one we're going to definitely spoil because we're talking about some of the founding of the Federation. We could talk about any part of the series at any time, so you've been warned. And now for a summary of the episode. It's time for the Captain's Log. Okay, Chris and ChatGPT, let's go. Captain Starlog Supplemental. Well, this week, no AI was involved. Oh, so I played around with a different form of haiku called a loon, L-U-N-E, which has three words, five words, three words. So it's not syllable based. It's word based. So I did that. But then I, I was like, you know what? I took my kids to the playground and as they were climbing and jumping, a, a traditional um, haiku came to mind. So I'll read the traditional one. And um, I don't know, maybe maybe we'll read the loon real quick, too. <laughs> okay, so traditional haiku. Here we go. For ceasefire. Ash and flame. Future peace, Shran aims. Saval drinks. That's beautiful. It's fine. There's a lot. There's so much in this episode. You can't capture in a, in a haiku. <laughs> So um, the loon, though, which is an American haiku, which doesn't have a lot of restrictions, um, goes like this. Shran, Archer referees, Saval dribbles, coached by Archer. They drink together. And I was taking that whole, you know, balls in your court analogy. I love that with the dribbles. He also dribbles because he does get shot. So I'm assuming he's leaking a little bit there. Oh, gruesome. Just saying. (laughs) sorry that's what i thought at first i wasn't doing the ball in your court thing i was like dribbles huh all right yeah i'm guessing he's leaking from my shoulder (laughs) anyway i love our poetry synopsis they're so fun they're fun yeah i decided no ai today um so there there they go well we love your brain so thank you for those haikus both of them And now it's time to deploy our subspace amplifiers and get into this episode. We'll start with a quick chat about the cold open and then head into our pros and decons section. Each of us will share three of our favorite parts of the episode. And then if there are things that don't gel with us, Uh we'll have a (laughs) discussion. Every time I giggle. (laughs) Well, then we'll have a discussion on any decons from the episode. You might hear a dog bark in this discussion if somebody's Porthos pick is mentioned, but we'll still discuss them all later on. And keep your ears perked for a new special section I'm throwing in today. 
Okay, let's get into this episode. And as always, we start with the cold open. I wish it was cold outside. It's currently almost 90 degrees here. (laughs) Abby, what are your thoughts on how this episode starts? All right, so this is a pretty quick cold open, but what an establishing cold open. Yeah. Because you see, yeah, you see, this is going to be one that's going to be a little intense. I mean, it starts with an obviously not great looking planet where there's some sort of conflict going on. And as soon as you see the blue skins and the antenna Mm -hmm. and you hear Shran, I'm just like, Shran! Because everything with Jeffrey Combs is better. Like, the man is a miracle of acting and Shran is one of my favorite characters that he plays that you've heard me go on about before we will go Mm -hmm. on about more and the fact that this is slowly built up that Shran trusts Archer and that he's had these continual run-ins with him to the point where he is going to specifically ask for him because he has that trust and he considers him more of a neutral party that is working towards his same goals. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And I love that this sets up that we're going to see much more, not just about Shran, but the Andorian culture. And that is such a cool thing because the Andorian culture was very sparse until Enterprise. And then we get it built up and built up. And this is a great episode talking about that. So what a perfect setup. So what about your thoughts, Chris? Yeah, I have one note. His name is Archer. <laughs> That's it. Gives yeah. you goosebumps. It's like, yeah. And everything else you said is totally true. Um, you know, you're in for a, a great episode when it starts, not even with the main cast, not with our ship, but with Shran on a yeah. war-torn planet. So I was like, all right, I'm ready to dive in. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah, it's a great one. So should we jump into my first pro? Let's do this. Okay. So I have to say that I had a really hard time narrowing this one down again because (laughs) there are so many good moments in this, good ideas in this, good relationships in this. But I think where I want to start is with T'Pol, which sounds a little funny because we just said his name is Archer. And this is a very Archer heavy episode. But what I really liked about T'Pol in this episode is that we got to see her interacting with two different authority figures, both of whom she respects, but she has very different relationships with. So when you look at her relationship with Archer versus her relationship with Saval, there is maybe not a better episode to show the contrast, Mm. but how there is still deep respect for both of them. Like you Mm -hmm. see her trying to get Archer ready. She's trying to prep him. She has sent him all the negotiation handbook. She sent him the 1200 page treaty. She's talking to him in the shuttle. I mean, she's kind of razzing him a little bit about glancing at it, but fair to Archer. (laughs) Like that's a lot in one night and sleep might be more important than, you know, the 600th page of the treaty. That whole exchange about glancing is, (laughs) is great. It's not on my list anywhere, but Oh, I wish I could have picked it. It was so funny. We've lost the navigational sensors. And the comm. Sandoria jamming signal. I'm entering the landing coordinates they gave us. Let's hope they're accurate. Did you have a chance to read the territorial compromise? I glanced at it. The compromise is at the heart of this dispute. It's worth your attention. It's 1,200 pages long. 
Did you glance at any of the other materials I sent to your quarters? Villar's treatise on negotiating tactics is the definitive text on the subject. I got all of it. Villar's treatise, the revised intersystem agreement, the high command briefing on the border incursions of 2112. I was up till 2 a.m. Glancing. It shows their relationship because she's needling at him in a way that if they didn't have that trust and that bond and that understanding and respect could be kind of aggravating but he does know what she's doing and he's trying to tell her i did the best i can i think i'm ready i appreciate this and she flat out says so of all things you're gonna fail i'm trying to help you stop that like i'm trying to make mm-hmm. you not fail let's show it to let's stick it to saval let's show him that you can do this and that is such a powerful underlying part of their relationship in all of this she trusts him to make the right choices and she's going to support him and help him be successful the whole time and then when you see her with saval later on especially when they're talking and <laughs> they're talking about the ears which is the other oh yeah funniest part of this episode what is their fascination with our ears i think they're envious like that is perfect <laughs> but then the two of them talk about her career and she still very much respects saval but it's different now because she has been with the human. She has a different perspective. She chose to stay with Enterprise. She chose to fight for Archer to stay in command. And she's giving it back to him. But she's giving it back to him in a way that says, I understand what you're saying. And you're not wrong. I might have advanced further if I had stayed. Mm-hmm. But because he's earned my respect doesn't mean I've been tainted by his emotions. She's showing each of them that she still respects the other, but she's supporting this piece the whole time. And it's it's just so interesting to see the nuances of T'Pol throughout all this and how she interacts with each of them, both defiantly yet respectfully, and the subtle differences and the way she picks her words when they're both in a room with her together or in a situation with her together. She's sometimes the voice of reason between the two of them. And that is a very interesting dynamic that I wanted to highlight. Do you realize you picked up a slight human accent? You're one of the most promising members of my staff, T'Pol. If you'd stayed in San Francisco, you'd be the assistant counsel by now. You might even have a diplomatic posting of your own. I'm aware of that. Then why have you remained on Enterprise? We believed they needed our help when they first developed warp drive. That hasn't changed. Captain Archer's record is evidence of that, but there are others who can assist them. I find the work gratifying. Gratification is an emotional indulgence. You disagreed with our recommendation that Archer's mission be canceled after the tragedy at Paraga 2. Why? I was on board Enterprise at the time. I felt my opinion would be welcomed. You believed you knew better than the High Command? That sounds a great deal like another emotion. Arrogance. Perhaps it's time for you to consider another assignment. Just because Captain Archer has earned my respect doesn't mean I've been contaminated by his emotions. Well, this is the dynamic that Star Trek promotes to its core. Negotiating complex, turbulent relationships from different people that have very different views and motives, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I love Archer's doing that between the Vulcans and the Andorians. And then T'Pol's doing that between Vulcans and humans, right? Yeah. Each of them is a liaison, is a bridge in some way, which is just 
building that larger theme of what this whole episode is leading towards, what enterprise itself is leading leading towards. And so great pick. I didn't think about the highlight that Saval and Tapal relationship for the whole episode, but I think that's a good one, especially in that end scene where there is a lot of Tapal talk, but yep. when Saval's like, uh, you haven't been especially meddlesome <laughs> to yeah. Archer, to yep. Paul's face acting is just like, hmm? oh yeah, <laughs> that. But that was that was enough. Those tiny muscle movements, so good. Yeah. Well, and we saw her with Saval from the very first scene we saw her in in the premiere episode in Broken Bow. She was there with Saval. He, you know, pops up to both help and hinder her throughout all this first season and a half we've seen so we have seen their relationship grow that mm -hmm. is detailed and as much but they have more history before we've seen this history with archer that is progressing and it's just we always talk about archer being so pivotal to the founding of the federation and i am not taking one iota of that away mm -hmm. but without to paul i'm not sure there would have been a federation either because she's doing so much of the yeah. the connecting she's the lego that's putting these two together because mm -hmm. she's crossing both worlds even if she does pick up a slight human accent <laughs> well, <laughs> no it's i think it's equal equal archer and to paul mm -hmm. one without the other would not have been able to accomplish what they accomplish and that's again yes. a huge star trek theme apart we can't do much together we are our, our Potential is infinite, right? What Janeway, yeah. Hollow Janeway says to the protostar kids. I have full confidence you'll find your way because together your potential is infinite. Now, go boldly. That's and a that's, lesson for life right now. It's a, that's the Star Trek lesson. Just yeah. never been phrased that way, but... Man, I'm glad that prod uh, Prodigy gave us that succinct um, core belief of Star Trek and just that one little statement. Absolutely. Great pick. All right. So we started off with a really fun one. I can't wait to hear your pick. So hit us with your first pro, Chris. Well, you uh, set me up at plate to get a home run because yes. we are going to talk about building the Federation. Nice. <laughs> But specifically, one little scene, the archer and flocks scene. Mm. If there's a flock scene where he's doling out advice to archer or someone in the crew, it's going to be a golden scene. And this is a golden scene specifically because archer, he kind of vocalizes this thing he's been probably developing in his mind for a while now, that humanity might be out here for more than just exploration. They might be out here to prove that they can be part of something larger, like this inter this intergalactic community. And I find that realization in this small little scene to be pivotal for the episode and pivotal pivotal for the whole you know series. I mean this this is the why does enterprise exist? Building the Federation is why the enterprise exists. Maybe not in the beginning, but when looking back, at least for me, this is why Enterprise is vital Star Trek. It can't be ignored because it shows how we get from here to there. Not on Earth, but at least in the intergalactic community. It should only take a moment. If I may ask, how did your first meeting with the Vulcans go? 
warm and friendly as ever. Ironic. They weren't overly enthusiastic about you taking command of Enterprise in the first place, and now your presence is crucial to their interests. It's crucial to ours, too. Maybe we're not out here to just scan comets and meet new species. Maybe we're out here to prove that humanity's ready to join a much larger community. I intend to do that. Whether the Vulcans like it or not. All finished. Well, you know, you kind of uh, read my mind because my second pro lines up right with that. And okay. it is. Yeah, it's specifically that final scene. But I literally have in all caps, tentpole of the founding of the Federation in my yeah. notes. Because, yeah, how could we talk about this episode without talking about all of this? And I feel like this episode is one of the first times that we get these three men in a real meaty, mm -hmm. peaceful focused episode. They've, they've shared scenes before, There's been, but this one is where you can see that all three of these men, you've got Archer, you've got Saval, and you've got Shran. And this could be an alternate big three of Enterprise. If it had continued on mm. past four seasons and we had seen more, these three men, and probably let's throw in a Tellerite, whoever they would have pulled up, these are the founding fathers of the Federation. Like, yeah. right here. And this is where you're starting to see that after this experience and after seeing trans stand up for what he believes in more than what the rest of his Andorian army troops group, whatever they are more than what they want. He has his eye set on the future and Saval sees that and Archer sees that and they understand and respect each other more because of this that they've been through. And they are all showing that they're not just marinating on this. They are actively trying to take steps forward. And that is yeah. just awesome. Yeah, there's a sense of the three of us are going to build something new mm -hmm. together. And this is the first step. And um, I just got to say Archer's line in, in that scene with Phlox. He says, maybe we're not out here to just scan comments and meet new species. Maybe we're, we're out, out here, here to prove, prove that... Humanity's ready to join a much larger community. That that's the mission statement, uh, right? Yeah. How cool that Flox pulls it out. Yeah. Yeah. Flox, who's not even a human. He's not even one of these big three races. But it's that perspective from Flox again that he always has that slightly outside, slightly alien perspective. And he's seen a lot. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Denobulans are good if, at negotiating interpersonal relationships, that's for sure. So yeah, his advice is should always be taken because he doesn't give it out lightly, especially to Archer. And you can almost see that settling into Archer as he goes through all of this. And I mean, he might have to turn on his his important voice sometimes and throw the smack down and be like, would you mm -hmm. all just stop? Mm -hmm. But the point of that is to move them on a more positive path. And Flox really does plant that seed. So yeah, this episode is awesome at those those things that we will see later. Yes. Planting the future. So that was a perfect pick. What a great thing to discuss this seed of the Federation that's coming later. And yes. I love when our picks line up like that. 
So let's move into your second pick, Chris. What other wonderful things do you have to discuss here? All right. Well, I mean, it, it kind of goes along the same theme, but it's focusing on Shran, how Shran Ooh. tries for something better from the first moment of this episode. He is reaching for something better, not a way to get what he wants. I mean, he's trying for that, but he wants to try something that's never been tried before. And he sees the opportunity with Archer. And I think it's not out of selfish desire. It's he has this vision of something better. So if Archer and Tapal are key for the Federation, Shran might be number yeah. three. Like not yeah. even Saval. Like Shran is the the warrior, you know, Imperial Guardsman who is trying for something more. And that is awesome. Bring them here as soon as they land and treat the Vulcan with respect. Yes, sir. If I may speak. You don't have to. I know what you're going to say. We discovered this planet. We made it livable. It belongs to us. Don't worry. It'll be ours again. How? By talking? We've been trying that for a hundred years, and it's gotten us nowhere. They stall and lie and make promises they never intend to keep. We came here to fight. Why back down now? I'm willing to give Archer another chance. You put too much faith in these pink skins. We don't know anything about them except that they're friends of the Vulcans. Not always. I've seen that for myself. If we attack now, we can have the Vulcans on the defensive before our ships arrive. Your recommendation is noted. Our troops are ready. There's no reason to wait. Enough. I value your opinion, Tara, but that does not allow you to question my commands. Dismissed. I love that scene between Shran and Tara where they're talking about bring the Vulcan here, treat him with respect, you know, that kind of thing. And and Tara is doubting this whole situation. And I mean, she's so tall and he's so short. Like it really exists. <laughs> but 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 Jeffrey Combs can embody power and authority. It doesn't oh, yeah. matter his height, right? Um, yeah. but I just I love that he's like, I'm willing to give Archer another chance. Yeah. And this this is why this is why this future federation happens because this man is willing to try for something better. Well, and I think it's so interesting that you know the first time that Archer and Shran met, Archer got the snot beat out of him by Shran. Like, you know, this this was not a great beginning, but they have been through stuff before this and they've seen enough and shran is honorable and open-minded enough to not just come back to archer because he feels like he owes him but because he knows he can trust him mm. and you're absolutely right that this is this is one of those moments where you go if it wasn't for shran if it wasn't for somebody mm -hmm. with a vision would we have gotten this far and you're right i think the answer is probably no no i mean and could you imagine somebody else who has like a kernel of doubt? He has no doubt that this is the right way to go, mm -hmm. even if it's going to be messy getting there. Yeah. And it's just so he like you said, he embodies so much power and so much authority and that voice and those eyes and the antennas. Mm -hmm. I love the Andorian antennas that like kind of emphasize their emotions by how mm -hmm. they move. And I know they're a huge pain for the actors and the makeup people, but it's so worth it because they're so cool. But just his little like wilty antennas, it's <laughs> like, you don't play 
from a strand because he doesn't have a poker face. Like this man is wears all his emotion on his sleeve and on his head with those mm-hmm. antennas. But that's almost okay because what you see with Shran is what you get. There's no yes. hiding layers. He's just out there and he's like, I'm working for this and we're going to try for this. And what a wonderful character. And the complexities that we learn about him as this goes on, this is just the beginning of the many layers of Shran and realizing that, you know, one person might feel like you're throwing sand into the ocean, but one person can make a difference. Wow. What you just said about Shran and how he wears his emotions on his sleeve or really on his <laughs> antenna yeah, is why Archer can trust him. Yeah. And it's why the Andorians can't trust the Vulcans because the Vulcans don't give away any emotion. Exactly. And so they're so different. And it's, again, humanity is both logic and emotion. It's that bridge that we eventually, you know, I think Saval brings up later in 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 season four and you're really seeing that here it it is so clear and so cool to see these these species that have been set up decades prior yeah and it just makes sense that they're all working together in this dynamic here um it's really beautiful and enterprise needs to get more credit for really taking what tos gave us about these species and yeah. making them a real player in the Star Trek story. They really have culture and they really have, have depth and, and reasoning and all those, those pieces behind it. And that's such, that's such a neat thing because when you look back to what you had from the Andorians and TOS, it's really not much. It's Mm -hmm. really not much Mm -hmm. besides they're blue and have antennas. So how it's just, it does make sense. It makes them feel more real. It makes it feel more possible. And those are the details we love. All right, so should we go to your third pick? Let's do it. All right, so I couldn't not talk about Trip Tucker in this one because, you know, he's had some moments with the Vulcans, not the biggest fan. He's had some moments with the Andorians. Again, not always the biggest fan. <laughs> and he, But he's following Archer. He's following Archer's lead here. And when he's saying, you know, do you really want to do this? Those ships are going to be here in four hours. You don't have time. Like he's, he's questioning, but then he will support it. And what I really liked is that we saw Trip here in command, 100% sure of himself. He knew what to do. He knew the moves to make. He didn't have any of that hesitancy or nervousness that we've seen in other ones for the comic effect. He just gets in that chair and does it. Yeah. And he even gets the hero shot full in when he sits in the big chair right after he puts Enterprise between the Andorian and the Vulcan ships. And he's just in command. He gets the big hero pullback with the slow shot. And you're like, yeah, you know what? He has grown to look at this. Range. 50,000 kilometers. We're still heading right for the Vulcan ships. The Vulcans are charging weapons. The Andorians as well. Travis laying a new course. I want you to put us right between them. Aye, sir. If you don't mind me asking, what do you have in mind? We're being hailed by the Vulcans. And the Andorians. Put them both on. This is Commander Tucker. Captain Teller of the Imperial Guard. Commander, I strongly recommend you withdraw to a safe distance. I agree. 
We wouldn't want your vessel to be damaged by debris from the Vulcan ships. We will not allow the Andorians to land additional troops on Pon Makar. It's called Waitan, and our personnel there have been attacked. We'll provide whatever support they need. Any vessel attempting to enter orbit will be fired upon. That includes yours, Subcommander. We appreciate your support, Commander Tucker. Don't. I'll open fire on any ship that makes an aggressive move. Base cannons? Locked and ready. This is not a Starfleet matter. As long as my captain is stuck in the middle of your war zone, it is. The Andorians have made it impossible for us to recover Captain Archer. By now, he's most likely a casualty. Don't count him out so fast. We've managed to isolate his biosignature. Now, why don't you both give him and Ambassador Soval a chance to do their jobs before we start a war up here? He knows what his captain is down there fighting for. Mm -hmm. He knows what the ultimate goal is here. And even if he's not as trustful of the other players in this, he trusts Archer and he's going to do his job and kind of question him and poke at him a little bit because he's his friend and his subordinate, but he's going to follow him. And like none of the rest of the crew blinks at this either. He's like, put him right between us. Yep. Here we go. And doesn't. And then when Archer calls back up and he's like, and he run into any trouble up there. And he's like, yeah, nothing we can't deal with. I'll fill <laughs> you in later. <laughs> and like, that's just a, a season ago. Trip would have been like, oh my goodness, I'm right here in between these two. No. They've all grown. And this was just a really, a really nice way to, to show that in a very short time with Trep. Well, we have the same pick. <laughs> yeah, I just love when Trip orders the ship between the Vulcans and the Andorians. Something that happens in another season, right? He becomes kind of used to this um bluffing you know being the bridge or the barrier between andorians and vulcans and he's really good at it and my favorite scotty is command scotty and my favorite trip is command uh, trip um mm. particularly i love when trip says i'll open fire on any ship that makes an aggressive move phase cannons and reads like locked and yes. ready <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> like that's your shacks moment like yes i'm ready to go Baby bear. <laughs> I also love that there's a point where they put the ship on tactical alert and he just gives that little like nod and smile and Malcolm's like, yeah, my alarm is perfect now and I'm ready. <laughs> it's such a yep. good Malcolm moment. Yep. He 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 puts the Vulcans in their place and yeah. the Andorians. And it's just a great scene. Makes you so proud. And it's so different than the trip that we got earlier this season when he's just kind of clueless and doesn't know what to do and exactly. kind of just played for jokes. Yeah. It's a, it's a really good balance there for sure. And you know what? It's, this is not an episode where the rest of our crew gets a lot to do. And that's something that I often say, my favorite episodes are the ones where the crew has tons to do, but all of the little bits that we got of everybody else in this episode are perfect mm -hmm. like that. And this, this it's like, putting trip tucker sprinkles on this episode with this little <laughs> bit of trip <laughs> yes continue our connections to bigger trick <laughs> yep yep all right so we're moving on to some decons now but not too many because i'm pretty sure we don't have a lot for this great episode but these are the parts of the episodes that 
just don't gel with us. So, Chris, let's start with you this time. What do you got for this one? The sets just don't have the scope that the story wants them to have. They don't really suggest the wide, war-torn settlement. They feel very claustrophobic. You don't see the sky. Um, it just, it, it, it really hinders the full story, in my my opinion. And I've never had that reaction to this episode until this time around. So that's my first decon. Any any thoughts on that? Yes, because it's funny because that you noticed that because one of my decons goes, "Why is so much of this colony on fire? Like, what yeah. is what is burning? Like, are, exactly. is it chemicals? Is it?" there's no vegetation like there's just these random fires everywhere yeah. and i get it like it makes the details look a little bit more in the, the fog you don't see but yeah this was not the this was not the the set they put the money into no and then um susie plaxon of course she's star trek royalty right oh yeah uh she's incredible in tng and she's a cliched surface level character here yeah. Uh, um, you know exactly what role she's going to play in this story from the beginning. And I just wasn't into it. I mean, I loved every syllable that came from her mouth just because of her performance. But she wasn't given much real stuff. Like, I wish we had some more doubt or something to make this character a little more three dimensional than just the Andorian soldier who's going to rebel against Shran and she has cleavage. <laughs> <laughs> well that's funny because one of my decons here is obviously the klingon and andorian female military people oh, don't mind going get me here shoot me here hit me here knock me here you will be so distracted by my cleavage you won't notice that i have a completely vulnerable spot right here in the middle of my chest <laughs> yeah. <sighs> yeah it just doesn't seem smart for a military outfit that's all no, it doesn't. And, you know, the TV and the TV at the time. But yeah, the the whole yeah. the whole character and the package of it. It was a waste of Susie Plaxton. I mean, she's still fun. It's a fun flavor. But there were Kalar so rich and dynamic yeah. and kind of a wild card for yeah. Worf and the, the Enterprise crew. This was just you knew exactly what she what role she was going to play. And yeah. it was a little disappointing. Well, and even when she was in Voyager as as the female Q, you saw more of that. She didn't have a huge role and was a little bit more, you know, you expected it, but she just ate it up. And this one, I think she was the second tier. So you don't want to give that character too much to take away from the big founding of the Federation storyline. But yeah, she could have done a lot more. And it, it was very clearly telegraphed, which is not her fault. She was working with what she was given, but... Yeah. No, it's not her. Yeah. 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 So that that's it. That's it for me, really. You? So I talked about what is on fire on that poor planet and <laughs> the cleavage military outfits. And I have two more really small things here. <laughs> cleavage <laughs> military outfits. <laughs> hey, you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. All right, so I have to point out here, and I would be amiss if I didn't, T'Pol has another sad Play-Doh veggies, as our <laughs> co-host Emerita Melanie dubbed it last season. When they're sitting there and they're eating this great dinner, she's just, I just hope that that is by preference. That, you know, whether it be Jolene, the actress, saying, please give me something that I can eat for like an hour and a half in small bites and not, you know, yeah. not look like I ate a bunch in this cat suit, or 
you know, to Paul, maybe she just really likes raw veggies with a raw slice of lemon. But oh, with the, all the great food on this show, I just I I cry over to Paul's plate sometimes. Yeah, but remember, she's not crying. That's true. That's true. So I'm going to go with perhaps it's her choice to have the sad plate of veggies. But and I love <laughs> vegetables. It's just like they didn't do anything with them except arrange them in a circular fashion. But I also think to myself, OK, so they crash the shuttle, right? They come uh-huh. out, the hatch is open and Saval takes off his big old fancy Vulcan robe, throws it in the shuttle. Nobody shuts the door <laughs> like I'm pretty sure that door did not get jammed open on the way down like they Mm. opened the door when they got there like shut the door if you don't know who's gonna come find your stuff i mean if for no other reason than that's your fancy vulcan ambassador robe like come on man (laughs) like shut the door of the shuttle do you want people coming on stealing your stuff looking at your technology you don't know which side's gonna find it shut the door (laughs) yeah yeah it just seems very silly but we know from experience that there's absolutely nothing useful inside those shuttle pods. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it can't can't help you stay out of trouble. It can't you know offer you things to to no come water, together. There's, there's no, no water. There's no shade. No face <laughs> pistols. No exactly. communicators. Nothing. In no there. emergency nightgowns. <laughs> <laughs> if all of that made no sense to you, listeners, just go back a few episodes and you will hear all those references. But yes, yes, yeah. And I also just think to myself, I always want to know, the first time I watched this one in a while, and then Archer falls through the floor when he's uh, he's tussling with Tara, I kind of wonder to myself, what would have been different here? How would this have played out if he had not fallen through the floor and he could have just walked her to Shrant? I think it would have played out mostly the same, but yeah. I'm just like, oh, look, the convenient floor hole. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. that's, that's just plot. That's just to move the story along, and I get it. But it's just one of those things where you're like, yeah. You know, it. I think to myself a lot when I watch Enterprise, if it had been streaming like Star Trek is now, and it would have mm-hmm. had more flexibility in time of episode. And some of them could have been shorter and some of them could have been longer. But we see that with modern Trek and how it yes. just kind of allows you to do things that you, oh, well, he's got to fall through the floor because we've got to make this turn into a fight. And that takes two seconds versus, you know, we have a chat or whatever that takes two minutes. So mm-hmm. I I wish that all things could have had the time they needed to tell the story the way they wanted to, not just, you know, the 45 minutes of TV with commercials. Yeah. To be fair, like in that same situation, though, if it was a TOS episode, the same thing, same exact thing would have oh. happened. A hundred percent. So in some ways, Enterprise likes to put Archer in the same fighting positions as Kirk was. Um, and so in that respect, it's classic. But I'm a hundred percent with you. Like it was the obligatory hand to hand fight. Yep. Had to happen at that moment. And that was the quick way to get into it. Yeah. So any more decons? No, that was about it. I really like this episode. Me too. Mind if we take a look? Prettiest set I ever saw. All right. Well, we have a new segment tonight, as I had promised, and it's celebrating the artistic direction in Enterprise. I have found that recently we've been talking a lot about really cool shots that we just kind of want to give a little call out to, and I've been doing a lot of bonus porthoses with that. So I decided... 
We're going to take a little moment here and just talk about a beautiful shot because it's not just the actors and the costumes and the story. It's a lot of the how we see it that gives us the emotion and the feeling behind it. So mm-hmm. my inaugural view screen on moment here is in sickbay when you're coming into that scene we talked about with Flox and Archer and you're looking through the screen and it's kind of... I octagons hexagons circle it's an almost circular shape that you can see through this screen and you see flax and archer and then you go across the screen and see them through these little holes and then come around and finish it and it's just pretty and it's just unusual and it's just eye-catching and it it deserves a little bit of a shout out so that is my view screen on for today what about you chris i sprung this on you so (laughs) yeah that's a really cool one and i love that we're adding this new little segment because um, whenever we can add more good things we're going to say about Star Trek, I'm for it. Um, yeah. So my view screen pick is simply going to be when Enterprise is in orbit around the planet and below it are the two huge Vulcan ships. Yep. Those Vulcan ships are gorgeous and kind of almost like organically laid out and structured their art and i think in a previous episode i said that vulcans wear art in their clothes their clothes are pieces of art and their ships are pieces of art as well Um, enterprise itself is kind of industrial looking i think it's gorgeous it's a beautiful piece of artwork but the way that the vulcan ships are you know formed it's almost like they're painted no straight lines everything's curved and just luxurious and so I love anytime we can get that contrast between the Enterprise and the Vulcan ships in one shot. And that's what this shot does. So great visual effects and ship design. Absolutely. Vulcan ships are so pretty. And I know I'm surprising no one when I say I love the Vulcan aesthetic. So I'm so glad you called what? this one out. <laughs> you know, right? <laughs> Someday when people see me at a convention, I'm in full robes. They'll be like, yeah, that, that, that tracks. Yes. But their ships are so pretty too. And I love the geometry that yes. follows in all the parts of Vulcanness. Like it's just very clean and simple. And that very much appeals to me. And I Vulcan ships are some of my favorites just because of that. I really want one of those Vulcan ships as a model, but mm. Eagle Moss only sells them in their like tiny regular form. I want like the XL because the thing about those ships is their size and the yeah. ship. And if yeah. you get them the tiny little tiny versions, it's like, eh, eh, not really <laughs> impressive. I want I want a big XL of that. So anyway, um, yeah, I love this new segment. Thanks for adding it in. Hey, no problem. And speaking of celebrating things, I think I hear a dog barking. Rough, rough, rough. <laughs> you make an excellent pooch. Thank you. So we've come to the time where we discuss our... <laughs> favorite parts of this episode are Porthos picks and I don't think our picks were mentioned already we so we have not had dogs barking till now we will have a bit more to expand upon and more moments to discuss so Chris after all this good chat what is your Porthos pick for the episode well we kind of hinted towards my pick but didn't specifically call it out so it's that final scene in the conference room when they're drinking you know, where everything that the negotiations have really started in earnest and it encapsulates everything we love about the Federation arc in enterprise 
and these characters and their particular dynamic, the Archer, Shran, Saval, and T'Pol character dynamic. And like I said, T'Pol doesn't say much at all in this scene, but she says so much with her face in all between all the exchanges so like if you haven't paid attention to to paul in this scene go back and watch the scene and just watch her it's fantastic um i really love you know the drinking that's fine and all that stuff but really it's that last exchange where so paul says captain your presence here has not been mm-hmm. overly meddlesome <laughs> so good but then shran says i think he likes you pink skin yeah ah join me drink to celebrate our mutual dissatisfaction Vulcans don't drink but this occasion merits an exception to the ceasefire it wouldn't have been possible without the help of our human friends and to the successful continuation of these talks on Andoria. I trust they'll be more accomplished than just talk. With your permission, I'll escort Ambassador Saval to the airlock. Of course. Captain. Your presence here has not been overly meddlesome. I think he likes you, Pinkskin. I wouldn't go that far. That's the whole dynamic. That's what I chose. Those three lines. Uh, I guess Archer says, I wouldn't go that far. So those three yeah. lines plus to Paul's face. That's everything yeah. I love about Enterprise right there. It's fun. It's serious. There's so much going on. They're trying for a better future, but there's levity in there too. Yeah, it's such a perfect pick. And it's just, you can see so many different layers of relationship there and i love that scene because they're tr- all trying so hard yes and they're all there with yes such good intention they have set the intent that this is going to get somewhere and even though they are all mutually dissatisfied which you know is a compromise they they understand that that's a good place to be and it is it is so powerful and to see all those tiny bits of relationships and i love Saval starting to crack there and saying, you're not overly meddlesome. And then as soon as he's out, yeah, Sharon and Archer have that little back and forth. And it's perfect because when you have that trio in there, they all have a relationship together, but they all have relationships with each other as well. And it's nice to see that Saval and Archer relationship have that little moment. And then Sharon and Archer have that little moment. Mm -hmm. And each of them witnessing that, you know, it, it just adds those those layers. And it's just a beautiful little end to this episode. Yeah. I mean, Deep Space Nine is hailed as the, the series that has the best minor characters. And they do. But these two, Shran and Saval, are up there. And some of the best, you know, guest cast, minor characters, however you want to talk about them. 
um, in the whole franchise. They're some of the best. Well, I really swear that people are going to think we plan this kind of stuff ahead of time, which I swear <laughs> to you, we really don't. But okay, I'm going into my Porthos because my Porthos pick for this episode is the guest stars. Uh... And it's talking about how we don't just have Shannon Saval, but we do have Susie Plaxton as Tara in there. We have Admiral Forrest pops up in oh, this yeah. And like, yeah, just for that little bit of the conversation. And I have to say, this has nothing to do with my Porthos pick. It just cracked me up. And I will I will try to remember to put this when we post it later. But I was watching this with captions one time. And in that conversation with between Forrest and Archer, there's a screenshot that Forrest is talking to him. And it's supposed to say, Ambassador Saval said, your presence is crucial. But the caption got screwed up and it said, Ambassador Saval said, capital U, capital R. So your presence is crucial, yo. <laughs> I will never watch that scene without thinking about Admiral Forrest going, yo, at the end of that sentence. But you're 100% right on this. That Enterprise has so many more supporting characters here. And more and more, you hear all these rumors and behind the scenes that some of these characters were even supposed to become main mm-hmm. cast if Enterprise had continued on. That's mm-hmm. how good these minor characters are. Mm-hmm. And this is just like, this is an absolute bonanza of guest star talent in this episode. And I always say I love it when our crew has so much to do, but I love this episode because the the second layer of characters has so much to do in this one. And they are part of what makes this feel like a full fleshed out universe. That, that last statement. Yes, this is how you build the world of the Star Trek mm-hmm. universe. Um, yeah, well said. Great pick. Well, thank you. I try. Accessing library computer data. Well, here on First Flight, we love trivia and behind-the-scenes tidbits. So we pick a few to share about each episode. Why don't I start tonight? Go for it. So obviously, we have Susie Plaxon, who played Tara, and she previously played Dr. Salar in TNG and Kalar in TNG, and then the female Q in Voyager. So that's just our quick rundown of who she played and obviously i think her her most memorable one is kalar but um she is memorable regardless of what role she's playing my kalar action figure from the 90s is one of my favorites because it's in her little sparring outfit the red one and yeah there's a reason that one got played with a lot because yeah kalar is awesome and so is (laughs) susie plex (laughs) Kaylar, and I always have to look up. How do I spell her name again? <laughs> no, there's a lot of always. vowels in there. Yeah, there are, <laughs> but it's it all works. <laughs> My next piece of trivia, I just have two small ones, um, is that Admiral Forrest states that this is the first time the Vulcans have asked them for help, but that's not true. In Fallen Hero, I know one of your favorite episodes, Abby. Yes, they actually ask Enterprise to transport an ambassador for them. So. That's not true, but this is this is bigger than that. This is not just transporting yeah. an ambassador. This is acting as an ambassador, essentially, right? A mediator. Yeah. Well, and this is Saval having to admit that he's asking Archer for help, which is yes. a big thing and important. Delicious. <laughs> it is. 
All right. So speaking of Saval a little bit, there's a deleted scene in this one, which is my trivia. And I wish they had kept this in. Again, if it had been streaming, they could have. But it kind of plays into what a lot of my pros for this episode were. So in the deleted scene, right after Archer established negotiations with Shran, he says that Ambassador Saval in person should go to the surface. He's coming back to Enterprise in the shuttle pod with T'Pol and the hostage, the Vulcan commando, who's been released by the Andorians. And meanwhile, Archer asks T'Pol why she's so quiet, if she's unhappy about how he handled the negotiations. And she replies that, as Shran said, it's a very tense situation, but she thinks he is doing well. However, her opinion often differs from that of the Vulcan High Command, which Mm. would have been just a perfect little scene in there because we already know that. But that reminder and that that support from T'Pol then again would have played in one more time. Well, yeah, we never see the hostages come get transported back, right? Nope. Um, we also never see how does Enterprise get the shuttle pad, shuttle pod back. <laughs> I know they send shuttle pod too, but I've I've wondered that too. Like, uh, did they grappler and just haul it up? Like, I'm sure it was on fire. Everything else on that planet was on fire. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So after those bits of trivia, it has come to the time for our final thoughts and grappler ratings. So, Chris, on a scale of one to ten grapplers with half grapplers possible, how are you rating this one? I'm giving it eight point five flaming grapplers because everything's on fire. (laughs) Excellent. All right. So I'm giving this an eight point five because of my decons. I think this the Terra character was so shallow and surface level that it just kind of pulled me out like oh okay i know where this is going it it was necessary for the plot kind of but i feel like there could have been more dimension given to that character or that position there wasn't really a debate here right there was just bad side good side and (laughs) um I want more complexity in Star Trek, like we got with stigma. I mean, that's there was complexity there, and obviously a good side and a bad side, but there was a lot more nuance in all all the sides. Um, and then also the sets felt small, so for those two reasons, I just couldn't give it be above an eight point five. But I mean, eight point five is a great score, okay. I think. And again, it's the highest score I've given so far. Only Shockwave Part Two for me and catwalk and stigma so it's in fine company in my list what did you rate this one? Oh, so this one was kind of hard for me and i was back and forth in between a couple because i i feel a lot like you do i really like this one i like mm-hmm. where it is in the founding of the federation story i love that we get to see those three species coming together i like all the background but i missed our other crew members a lot. Yeah. Like I, I missed that chunk. I, I missed, like I said, the, the second tier adversary having a little more, more depth to her, but I love this episode. And I ended up actually watching it an additional time more than normal because we oh. switched our recording times and I wasn't sad that I had to watch it again. And it, <laughs> it keeps my attention. And like, like that's kind of my, one of my things, if I'm watching this multiple times in a short period of time, do I still yeah. keep as much focus? And I do. Yeah. So, and this is where I'm like, man, can we have three quarters of a grappler? But, but we can't because that would make no sense. So I, I have also landed on an 8.5 for this one. It's not quite as good as some of the other ones that we've been watching, but it is a fantastic episode. 
And it's the middle of a story. So I think when we get further down the line and we have some more where this kind of comes up more, I'll have be able to bump it up that extra half a notch. But this is an 8.5 for me too. And not a problem with 8.5. That's, nope. that's a great score. Absolutely. If C's get degrees, so do B's. Yeah. Yeah. And this, like I said, the fact that I, this one is so rewatchable to me mm-hmm. really puts it in its own category. Oh, I've seen it a lot over the years. <laughs> Um, you know, when I, when I have that enterprise craving, this is one of the ones I go to and the Andorian incident, I think there's a common thread. All right, Chris. So before we finish up, let's go through a quick recap of all of the pros for ceasefire. We had so much good stuff. Run us through your picks. All right. My first one is building the Federation where uh, Archer talks with flocks about Maybe humanity is out here to not just explore, but to join a larger community. Number two is Shran tries for something better. His whole effort in this whole episode, he is not an antagonist. He is a protagonist working towards peace. Crazy. Number three is Trip being command Trip. Just awesome. And how he slaps down both Vulcans and the um, Andorians in this episode. And Reed gets that little joy of being ready to fire the the phasers. <laughs> <laughs> and then my Porthos pick is that final scene between our big three here and and DePaul, where um, that dynamic is just so fun and rich and serious, pointing towards the serious work they have to do in the future. But it also ends with humor, where um, Shran says, "I think he likes you, Pinkskin." <laughs> so good. And now, what about yours? All right. So my first one was T'Pol's relationship with two different authority figures in Archer and Saval and how you can see her growth and the nuances of each relationship. My second one is that founding of the Federation tentpoleness of this episode and uh, our three big men in this coming together and really seeing each other more like equals in each other's eyes by the end. And then number three, it is Trip pulling in for that big hero shot and getting himself in between and just being in command the way that we know that he can. And my Porthos is the guest stars. We have so many good guest stars in this episode. So we got to celebrate the uh, second level of characters in this fabulous show. Absolutely. Great picks. Captain, I'm detecting a vessel closing on our position. Columbia to Enterprise. Greetings, Enterprise fans. This is Melanie transmitting from the NXO2 Columbia with my thoughts on Ceasefire. Ceasefire has always been in my top 10 episodes of Season 2 Enterprise, and there's a lot to love about it. As many of you know, I'm a big fan of the Andorians. I'm a big fan of the Vulcans. And I love to get any type of backstory on their history, their culture, their relationship to each other, their conflicts. So to get a sneak peek into the inner workings of the Andorian Imperial Guard, as well as this battle over the planet, was really interesting. It's always such a highlight and a delight when Shran is in an episode, so great to see him, and Jeffrey Combs, 
And once again, Shran's integrity really shines through in this episode. He's thinking in a progressive manner. He's still, you know, a strong Andorian with his beliefs and his convictions, but at the same time, he's willing to compromise. He's willing to have empathy. He's looking at the end game, at the big picture. And when he says, make sure that the ambassador is treated with respect, I just love that moment. Now, he realizes that he's betrayed by his lieutenant because not all the Andorians are thinking along the lines that he is. He is really a progressive guy here. And again, this leads ultimately to the formation of the Federation. And I find all that really interesting and intriguing. This is also such an important turning point for Soval. When we look at Soval from the beginning of the series, to his standing ovation in Terra Prime with that look on his face. What a progression, what a journey, what an arc. He becomes such a big ally to us. And I personally love the character. And this is where that shift starts to happen. When he says to Archer, your presence here hasn't been overly meddlesome, he's starting to get won over a little bit by Archer. And you have to love that look on T'Pol's face when she looks at Archer after that. So this is definitely an important episode in that regard as well. I have a lot of favorite parts in this episode, but to choose my Porthos's pick, I think it has to be when Archer says along the lines of, hey, if you want me to take a Vulcan down there, I'll take a Vulcan that I can trust. I love that zinger. I love that line. And once again, the progression of Archer and T'Pol's friendship throughout this series. We're seeing again how much they trust each other, how much they care about each other, how much Archer stands up for her and values her. So he's taking a Vulcan that he can trust. Overall, it's just a strong, interesting, action-packed, entertaining episode. I love it, and I'm giving Ceasefire... An 8.5 out of 10 grapplers. You can also find me on Twitter at PorthosNX01 or on Instagram at shuttlepod.two. And until next time, my friends, take care and live long and prosper. Columbia out. My chronometer is running backwards, sir. Incoming transmission. You read my letter. We want to remind you that we adore getting feedback and thoughts from listeners, as we hope you could tell from our last mailbag episode. We had so much fun sharing and discussing your insights and ideas, and we have had all sorts of fun chats on social media with so many of you, and we're collecting them again for the next mailbag episode. So this is your call for any grappler ratings, Porthos picks, uh, view screen picks, or general comments. Yeah. Please get them to us so you can be part of our mailbag episode. Yes, please do reach out and share any thoughts or smiles that you have and use the hashtag carrot crew. You know that we love it. And you can reach us at First Flight Pod on Twitter. We hope it's still up by the time that this comes out. <laughs> Instagram and Facebook. We're also on YouTube under the Tricorder Transmissions Network. And you can reach me personally at Abby M. Summer. That's S-O-M-M-E-R on Twitter if it still exists. Chris, what's the best place to reach you? Well, as you said, um, if it still exists on Twitter at Shelf Nerds, or on my YouTube channel, Completing the Shelf.
We want to thank you for spending this time with us and joining us for the smiles and the laughs. And we'll be back next time with Future Tense, the 16th episode of season two. Can't wait for that one. And as always, we leave you with this quote from Captain Jonathan Archer and your moment of Melanie. The most profound discoveries are not necessarily beyond that next star. They're within us, woven into the threads that bind us, all, all of us, to each other. other. We'll have to have another night where we talk about tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Well, I mean, we might be able to squeeze that in, but I at least want to we'll capture capture this because, yeah, there's so much yes. to talk about that. Um, and I kind of like the idea of our after the episode bonus spills into the rest of the Star Trek universe. I do, too. I kind of like that for for a big reason. is, Of course, I just like talking about it with you, but also <laughs> I feel like. Anytime we can connect Enterprise to the rest of the franchise, it further legitimizes Enterprise. Agreed. I don't know why, like, I feel like we need to legitimize Enterprise. Oh, I do. Because did you see the end of the Ready Room this week where they're oh, like, yeah, stream, yeah. TOS, and, other, and I'm like, there's no Enterprise on there. <clears throat> well, they didn't list Hello? Enterprise because they didn't have any Enterprise clips in that yeah, little video package. Hello, temporal I'm, Cold War. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Come on. And like when Thad said that on, on yeah. Twitter, he was just waiting. He's like, I was waiting for your response. I'm like, I might have been watching it on the treadmill and literally yelled, Oh, come on, people. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I see people like suggesting that, well, Enterprise is next to get cut off Paramount Plus. <laughs> so right now in my Amazon cart is the full <laughs> Blu-ray series. Oh, that's funny. I just gotta apply a gift card that I, I got for Father's Day to it. Because it's like 80 bucks I, right now. That's it. I know. I know. And then Voyager's 80 bucks too. I might do both. I've got them all on DVD that I've had for ages and ages. And I love the, the Enterprise. They came in these old like plastic sliding things that mm. they're very cool looking. Mm. Okay. <sighs> all right. <clears throat> okay. Okay. Just because I know it's fun. Um, yeah. Archer was picked four times this episode. Paul two <laughs> times. Trip two times. Flocks once. Saval four times. And Shran four times. Woo! That's pretty good. But also it does definitely show Reed, Hoshi, and Travis. Yeah. <laughs> Just nothing. Nothing. <sighs> four guys. But it was a great episode. <laughs> an important episode for the franchise. So their sacrifice was worth it. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel's soundbite. We did it. Another one in the bag. Yeah. <sighs> I feel like we were efficient this time, but maybe that's just because last time it was so long. <laughs> yeah, but also we had some more crossover with our picks too. That's very true. But yeah, compared to two and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> My husband was like, what did you talk about? No one's going to listen to it for that long. And I'm like, oh, but they will. Because oh, yeah. I listen to podcasts that are that long. Not all at one sitting, but like, yeah. If Whenever I, I see tra- Trek ranks or like 
Delta Flyers is a super long one. I'm like, yes. Did you see the Delta Flyers that dropped today? It's on author, author. And I, I'm so behind. All right. Well, I Patreon with them because I want the extra interviews and stuff. Uh, It's over three hours because Robert Picardo comes in and that man, I love him, but he adds an hour every time. And I cannot wait. Yeah. To hear this one and then to hear Jim's reaction because he hates this episode so much. Yeah. I mean, I used to love it. And then I, the more I've watched it, I've liked it less. Yeah. It's one that just, it doesn't age well at all. (laughs) It makes the doctor look really bad. Yeah. And everybody has those moments where they, their, their jerkiness and the worst of them comes forward. But I feel like, it didn't feel as authentic to him at that point in his journey. Yes. Season five. Sure. Yes. Season yes. four. Sure. But yeah, yeah. I'm with you. I'm, I still have to, I'm at my next episode to listen to is the void. Oh, I'm pretty behind. It's so good. And that's okay. Cause they're almost done. So you'll have lots to listen to when I'm like, Oh, it's Monday morning. Oh, I'm done. <laughs> but I want to finish with them. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just have been, uh, well, you Busy. know, I've been, I've been deep diving into writing research. So I've been listening to those kind of audiobooks and and that kind of stuff. Or sometimes I don't want to intake anything and put on music. Yeah, yeah, no, I hear that too. All right, what are your thoughts about tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow? Oh, I love a good time travel episode, and that's a and good one. this one. Yes. And okay, I totally am on Paul Wesley as Kirk now. Like mm-hmm. I I liked him in Equality of Mercy mm-hmm. too. I am ready for more of him in real timeline besides the tiny little phone call at the end because I like him. I like yes. him as Kirk and I've I've liked the interviews that I've heard with him about why he does what he does and like mm-hmm. the walk and all that. He yes. is so invested in making this honoring the past and all his own and it's showing and wow the chemistry between him and christina chong was off the charts like this is one of those i'm assuming it's going to be a one-off romance thing Mm -hmm. like wow this one is is one that would go high up on my trek ranks list now because i believed it and like oh my god like there are so many good actors on strange two worlds but this was her episode and this could be emmy nominated like you want to talk about face acting that mm-hmm. woman has face acting skills too. The whole silent scene in the hotel where she's looking at him and she thinks he's asleep. Yeah. Oh my God. Like I felt that viscerally. So that's amazing. And then hello, temporal cold war. And I love the idea of time pushing back and moving things. And mm-hmm. I love that all the little fanboys are crying their tears of this. Is what it's <laughs> supposed to be. Yes, it is. Look at this. We fixed it. That one line of dialogue that you always say they could have fixed it. Well, they did deal with it and yeah like oh that was awesome and the denobulant though i have to say i miss chief kyle like i really do miss chief kyle like i like the new guy but i and i love that all of the transporter chiefs are these kind of like gender non-conforming really interesting scant wearing type of people but i miss kyle i used to literally every time he came on go kyle yes (laughs) just because it, you know, it hit me in the nostalgia, but I I love that we saw that Denobulin. And then, okay, so here's my question too. Why didn't they put condiments on their hot dogs? <laughs> like they walked <laughs> away from the hot dogs and it's like 
the hot dog in a bun. And it's funny because like I talk to open pike sometimes and I sent that in as one of my questions to them. Like, I love this. I love this. I love this. Like, oh my goodness. And Khan as a kid, what a gut yeah. punch. Oh. Like all that. But they, of course she doesn't want to eat the hot dog. There's nothing on it. Like, <laughs> I hope when he went back, he got some mustard or relish or something. Cause that's part of what makes a good hot dog. <laughs> all right. Throw me some thoughts. Cause I could keep going, but your turn. <laughs> No, all of that for sure. Um, I really love that Star Trek. It, it kind of blew my mind that Star Trek never even approached the whole, if you could go back and kill Hitler as a kid, would you? <laughs> That's such a, like a, a ethical time travel kind of question that is just unpopular, just out in the world, right? And we finally yeah. have that question, that type of question here in Star Trek. So it's really cool when modern star trek can actually do something new right yeah and so that was amazing as i was watching it happen i'm like oh my gosh uh-huh. this is so cool and yeah i don't have an issue with the 1992 you know um, eugenics war thing i love that because time travel has happened so much in the star trek universe it's popping around Time is trying to correct itself, but it doesn't get it all the way. That's really a, a, an elegant idea to deal with a complex decades long franchise. Yeah. But it doesn't have to, like, it's not the whole, you know, Klingon retrovirus, you know, explanation, <laughs> which is, yes. that actually does work for me, but it's a little more convoluted. This is just like time's fluid. And then it makes you take, um, Anorax's relationship with time in a whole different way that it does oh, have yeah. moods and 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 it is almost personified in some kind of way or is there some kind of higher power that we're not aware of so i love the questions that this whole thing sets up those questions aren't a detractor for me like they aren't for some they yeah. are fun it's a place where we can insert ourselves in yeah i agree and then i i I saw the theory that future guy, maybe he's a Romulan. I forget who said that. Maybe it was Alex. I don't know. Fantastic. Yeah. I don't remember who said it either because I've seen it a bunch of places. But did you see Alex's whole thread about all the different ways to watch the franchise now? And like how this could be slightly different timelines and did the, you know, the Enterprise E going back to change first contact actually start another timeline like oh my god like yeah. this is where Janeway is right that all this temporal <laughs> stuff gives you a headache but it's such a cool headache and like I remember Melanie at one point telling me that I can't remember what time and again I think it was she did this giant she and her friend when it first came out they got a giant poster board and like they Aww. tried to draw out the timelines and how things went back and the paradoxes and all this and like I think that's so cool yeah. like it's so it's just so fun and it opens up so many more possibilities and it gives them that one little line that's the forgiveness yes. of anything that doesn't match up and it's right there and you know what people this is fiction this is there there was no promise of continuity and what they gave you right there is grace like that's the grace that you give back that okay, guess what so, things yeah but uh, no i'll push against you because okay. i am a firm believer of canon i think it is very important the creators have the duty to respect and adhere to canon but 
we have they have to also be flexible and be like a jazz performance artist like a jazz mm. musician can only improv within the key signature that they're working within within a, a limited number of notes but then within that limited number of notes they have they can create whole worlds right but they still work within that restricted key signature i think it's the same with the star trek none of this makes any sense without a canon because the only reason we know that this is different is because it pushes against that original canon right and i'm okay with it because sure. it's 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 honoring what came before and not saying it didn't matter it didn't happen it's saying here's how we're rectifying it here's how we're playing with it like we're improving like artists and i like that but that art, that artistry, that improv can only happen within the context of having a root, you know, an actual canon. That said, TOS's canon is in, <laughs> is not consistent, right? So we pick and choose and what stands the test of time over time. And that's what becomes canon. Like Klingons look like this <laughs> because for 30 years they looked like that, you know, that kind of right. thing. Um, if they went right from TOS Klingons to Discovery Klingons, I'd be 100% for it. Um, because what TOS Klingons existed for three episodes? Yeah. But then by the time Discovery came, they existed for 30 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, that's my rant on canon. No, I like the way that you say that. And I think you're you're absolutely right that they get a a, a width of places to play with within there. Yeah. And you want it to make sense, but you also... Like when people were writing about Klingons way back in TOS times, they were not thinking of us now, 56 some Mm -hmm. years later, 57 Mm -hmm. almost years later. Like they weren't thinking about having to do that. I mean, you even look at any type of media that goes on that far. Like that's that's just the way it is. And I like that they were I like that they're playing with time. I think it offers a lot of a lot of good possibilities and. It means that some of our characters that we don't see on TOS, mm-hmm. there there could be more reasons than just like death, because there's yeah. a lot of people going, you know, if they don't show up and we never talk about them and we never then, you know, they probably aren't going to make it through the series. And I'm like, I don't want some of these people to die. Yeah, And like, I know there's the whole theory of Mbinga isn't going to be the chief medical officer because he gets pulled for special forces because he's obviously a healer and a fighter. And yeah. like, I like that theory. Like, we can go that way. I'm, I'm cool with that. But like, I really don't want Lahan to have to bite it at the end yeah. of all this because we don't know where she is in the future. Yeah. So, yeah, but how interesting that Kirk died to save Khan. Yeah, yeah, I know. He he was attracted to one of Khan's descendants. I know, (laughs) I know. (laughs) That would that would have blown original timeline or prime timeline Khan's Khan. Well, both brain, both of their brains, right? Yeah, both of their brains. That's and that and that irony only makes sense within a universe that has canon. But in this episode isn't disrespectful it doesn't throw out canon it plays with canon yeah um you know like the discovery klingons are a little like yeah but they don't look like that i i really respect the artistic choice and i like it but it's also like are you saying what we had before didn't matter you know what i mean like we've had main character klingons so this episode, I, I can't understand how people are having an issue with canon with this episode because it's so respectful of canon. It's playing with it and saying, mm-hmm. you know what? The eugenics wars were so essential for humanity to get from here to there. 
that we have to let this terrible thing happen. Just like, you know, Edith Killer had to die. So World War II would happen because that was an essential yeah. disaster. Um, it's just really cool, all those parallels. And I love this episode. I think it's going to be a, it's an instant classic, really. Yeah, it's a really good one. And, you know, it's funny because you don't see a ton of the rest of our, the crew, like, which, mm-hmm. how many times do I harp on that? Mm-hmm. But first of all, I have to say, I won billion percent respect Anson Mount and the crew giving him three lighter episodes at the beginning of this season so that he could spend time with his newly born daughter like that is so progressive and so beautiful and so humbling that he is the lead of this show and he's like no I'm gonna take a step back because my family is important and that they were cool with it like oh my god could that happen more places I didn't even put that together you're right that's so cool but you know what we got some amazing episodes of Star Trek from that yeah we did yeah, we did. And you don't feel his absence because he's there enough, which is just perfect. And oh, okay, we didn't even talk about Pelia. Oh, I yeah. I am liking her more and more. And mm-hmm. like that, that picture I sent you with her sneaking out with the picture yes. from the loop. Yes. Like, like I just have I would like short tracks. Okay, this is like the billion thing I've put on my list of what <laughs> I want on short tracks, but I want short tracks that's just like a bunch of little, just like we wanted little montages previously. I want little montages of Pelia just stealing stuff throughout history. Yes. <laughs> and like, I think it would be awesome. No, but, like I, I, when that first actress was uh, uh, announced, I wasn't the biggest fan. I was like, oh, no. And then that first episode she's in, I'm like, oh, her voice. But by the end of that episode, I'm like, oh, I love her. <laughs> She's yeah. so fun, really fun. Well, and she's fun, but in a way that you know she has so much going on. Like even when she's trying to say, oh, "I'm not an engineer," and all mm-hmm. that. Like you, you know, like just the depth of what she's seen and where she's been, and it it's it's just fun to see somebody with that type of energy because you haven't had that on on Trek before. Like you know, I think about when we had like Barkley and Tilly, and we had the first like anxious super smart but not quite sure of themselves and now we've got super smart but a little kooky like it's just it's another area to show and and again she's so competent in everything and that's just i like watching smart people do smart things (laughs) if neelix and guinan got into a tuvix situation (laughs) right yes yes (laughs) <laughs> but like season one, like caretaker Neelix, yes. not season seven. Yes. <laughs> oh man, could you imagine those outfits? I'm just imagining like oh, the cross goodness. of Guinan and Neelix and the hat with the like hat. patterns. And then if we're going back to like caretaker Neelix with the fur jacket and everything. Like, oh my gosh. Oh man. And, but like, like a robe, like a fur robe with the big hat and like, oh man. Yes. <laughs> and then he would be an excellent listener, but come back with like a heartfelt joke at the end of it all. <laughs> yes. Oh, so good. Yeah. She, I, I really love that character. I'm so happy she's here. Like, of course I miss Hemmer, but she's getting much more to do already than Hemmer ever got, which is a, a shame, but it is. Well, and I, you... I hope that they don't kill off an engineer every season. Like I don't want to get to nine or 10 and I mean, you can't kill her. She needs to be around in Discovery's time. Like, maybe she just goes for another adventure. But yeah, or yeah. she sticks around for a couple seasons as a reoccurring. 
until we get to the point where we want to throw Scotty in the mix. Yeah, definitely. Because we, we got to get Scotty there. And maybe she's the one that puts Scotty there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think it's interesting because she says she has such a bad memory of faces, mm-hmm. but I'm pretty sure that when we get that last scene on the bridge and Laan comes up and they, they lock eyes about the stolen stuff, I'm pretty sure she put it together at that mm. point. I think we're supposed to think that, that the recognition uh. of, oh, hey, wait a minute. Now you're looking at me like this. You understand. You're letting me go. Oh, uh-huh. like jogging a long, fuzzy memory kind of thing. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Really cool. What anything else about the episode? Oh, I, I love the costuming again. Like mm. I loved when they went in and they wore the same outfit. I'm just like, ah. like, I yeah. know that's a trope, but it is it, it looked good on both of them. And uh-huh. I liked all of I like when Star Trek people wear modern clothing. Like I think yes. it it just it feels different. I bring me back to the present time a lot. And I'm I'm sure we will laugh at it in 30 years, like we do Futures End with the two rag. But yeah, (laughs) no, I love. um, Okay, so Kirk performance. I love. (sighs) I absolutely love when he calls her, ma'am. That's Kirk. (laughs) Yes, it is. He's got this formal military. Like I always in my brain conflate um, Christopher Plummer in The Sound of Music and William Shatner (laughs) as Kirk. Like there's this. (laughs) Right? Yeah. There's like this stately yeah. regal soldier about them, kind of stiff. But, you know, Kirk gets a little playful and Plummer eventually does in, in Sound of Music. He, yeah. he his, his barriers melt a little bit. But I love that he says, ma'am. No one else says, ma'am. But he has this stiff kind of, you know, soldier, um, captain formality. And they wrote him that way. Like, I think they really did a great job writing this as as past 60s Kirk but also keeping it still today yeah and I love his little quips all over the place are just perfect too oh they are and his his sparkling eyes like he got to sparkle eyes a little bit yes um and okay it is silly but I'm I'm totally for him winning all this money with chess (laughs) okay how long did he play though like, yeah, really? oh my God, I, I could get a few hot dogs and like maybe a night at the Econo stay motel or whatever, but they were in a penthouse suite <laughs> yeah. and they paid for like buses, buses and trains and all that. Plus they're taking a lot of liberties with the amount of time it would take to get from Toronto to Vermont by yeah. bus. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, This is not a going back in one day kind of thing. But, no, no, no. <laughs> but yeah, it was definitely. a great, great montage and great like little callback to to Kirk being so smart. And yes. that's one of the things that I like that Paul Wesley's really emphasizing that he is so smart. Yes. And that comes through. Finally, I think because this is an enterprise podcast, we got to talk about temporal cold war connections and yeah. all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I love that. I'm the Romulans might be the major faction yeah. in the temporal cold oh, war. Yeah. That oh, makes yeah. so much sense. Now, which, but what era? Because it has to be before Navarre, right? Yes. And like, when you think about, I'm wondering, I think about the end of the neutral zone in TNG when they're like, we're back. Like, uh, are they back because they're also fighting this war on multiple fronts? Like, oh. they're, I, I, that would be a really interesting time because they've seen the Federation. They know that they're a power. They don't really want to fight them, but if they could go back and just tweak things, it might make mm-hmm. things easier. Like, 
yeah, it's it's definitely it's a lot to think about. That's really I I hope there's more of this. I hope that there's yes either threads that they drop through or another series or like it ties into the section 31 movie or like whatever bring it on i want to see this yeah i was just gonna say like there's not enough here to really speculate anything else no but there's enough here to make us hunger for more and like could we get a resolution a a proper resolution to the temporal cold war in this series that we should have gotten enterprise that would have been amazing. I like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, it's possible because we've already it dealt is. with time travel, you know, in, in last season and in this one. And oh, it seemed like a very Romulan thing to do behind the scenes, pulling strings, right? Yeah. Uh, not a big swing, but little swings that they take over time. So time. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it makes sense. Like when you think about how they're, they've got the drone and they're working with the Anar later on in season four and all that, mm. like this seems very much like it could be connected and you'd believe it with the Romulans. Like, cause it just seems like their kind of thing to do. And it would really fix in that episode with the drone. And when we finally see the Romulans wearing the nemesis uniforms, yeah. That would be yeah. amazing if those turned out to be future agents. And that's why they're not wearing the whole TOS costume. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, man. And you know what? Perhaps we can get Daniels back at some point. Popping time to. Not. <laughs> I was going to say not in the time suits, too. But <laughs> He's got to have some yeah. tubes. <laughs> well, he, he can have more. Uh, aesthetically pleasingly placed tubes. Oh, not maybe? pointing to his groin? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, if that is what he feels is the most important thing for his time <laughs> essence, I suppose. Your time be, essence? Your time essence. Whew, we've been oh doing this goodness. for a bit. But, but how cool would that be? Like, Or if he and an older Jonathan Archer show up at some point, because... I mean, Bakula has said in the past couple of years, in a lot of the interviews, which he hasn't done a bunch in a while but he's had a few more here and there that he's not opposed to coming back to something and i don't think he'd make a huge commitment again no. but like oh my goodness if we had a time travel episode and then all of a sudden on the bridge with pike there's old archer and old daniels and they're like hey now <laughs> we know you know about time crystals let's talk about this temporal cold war <laughs> yeah. it'll be amazing it would be oh. amazing because oh, I mean, I love it. Pike is the Federation's Boy Scout. He is one hundred percent the Federation. So how cool would that be if they came back and they said, "We know that we can count on you to do this right now or whenever they pull him to or whatever," because you believe in Starfleet. You're Starfleet's captain. I mean, what did, that's what he said when he touched the time crystal. You know, so he'd oh, be the yeah. perfect person for them to come back to. Yeah, Daniels has one more thing for Archer to do, but Archer is president. In yeah. the past. And so he, they're like, we got to find someone else. And they're looking through time and they see yeah. Christopher Pike. And they're like, that's yeah. the guy. Yeah. And he already knows that the Romulans are kind of sketch if they want to bring that back in. Oh, could Chris Pike be, could it be the Chris Pike on Talos four or six? Is it six or four? With four? the Thelogians. Yeah. <laughs> Could it be them, him after he goes through the injury and that's how he's rescued and then healed 
in the future. And then he's part Ooh. of resolving the temporal cold war as a temporal agent. And then Ooh. he gets his sunset in the future. I'm for it. Okay. <laughs> this, this needs to go into like some producer's ear somewhere. I, I'm uh, sure they have yeah. some bigger, better plan, but yeah, but it, like it, it does. It's just delicious and it makes you want so much more. And the possibilities mm -hmm. are so out there and to be able to play with characters and we know they like crossovers. I mean, we're, we're having Mariner and Boimler show up. So they're, they're up for a crossover. Well, and, and everything we just went through right now, just everything we said only happens if there is a canon that's respected. Yeah. We can only play with the toys and reap and play with them in different positions if there are toys in a setting Yeah, that is established and has rules. So like more and more convinced yeah, there's a lot of people that I respect and I love on Twitter that say, oh, canon, screw it. Just tell good stories. Stories only exist within a context. Right. I feel like canon is, is have you seen those vases where you, they're, they're flat packs? They look like a plastic bag, but when you fill them up, they look like almost like a wine bottle and they're a vase for flowers. That's what, what I feel like canon. Yeah, they're really cool. But that's, that's canon right there. You fill it up with stuff and it can... It can move and it can tweak and it can flatten and expand in different ways, but only in the amount that you have within this space. Mm -hmm. They're they're really cool vases. They store so much better than real vases. But I, I think that's a good way to look at it like that. You can you know, play within this and we'll be forgiving, but stay within this boundary. Or you have a canvas, which has limitation of space, and you have a yeah. few colors you can use. You can mix those colors in different ways to get more shades and colors, but... There's your limitation. And Nick Meyer, he was always explaining how the limitations of the production of Wrath of Khan actually made it better. Right. Yeah. Limit limitations in R actually forces you to be more creative. So I I, I like Canon. I like but I think this is a good debate to have. And yeah. but not to get bogged down in the exactitude of it all. Because <laughs> then that's no fun. There's no joy. What we're doing is we're having joy. And uh, <laughs> yes. That's that's why I'm here. So, well, exactly. <laughs> I think <laughs> we have the world's longest button. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I think a good one. <laughs> I think it's a good one too. And I do like that we sometimes have the uh, ability to throw our other Star Trek thoughts out there. <laughs>